Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Two Weird Hungry Girls podcast. I'm Phoebe, and I'm recording a special holiday episode. And with the holiday season being so busy, I'm very fortunate that I have a very special guest with me again, Terry Berger. Thanks for joining me. We're doing a Skype kind of an interview, which is fun. And I can see um, right behind Terry's head in this picture is the view out, out of his window which is located right next to the cast iron oven, right? The yes. gorgeous cast iron oven. I think I shared a picture of it before um, in the other post that Terry and I did at the Kutztown. Oh, my, it's beautiful. You guys will have to go and check it out in the other um, photo episode. He went to open up. He, he got up to show me the um, the stove and how it opens. It's beautiful. And... Um, find the episode it's the Kutztown Folk Festival episode from this summer and um, it was called the Summer Kitchen episode I think right Terry yes, and it we was. talked about Summer Kitchen Pennsylvania Dutch cooking mm-hmm. so why don't you tell me a little bit about um, because daytime you work as an LCSW LCSW by daytime and then by nighttime you are a self-described scratch cooking expert by night. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about where this passion comes from for sharing foods? Because it's very serious. If you have a summer kitchen, this isn't just, it's not just a kitchen. This is like a passion for food. You know, I, I, I think my passion in, in, in part rises from my, my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we were really a cooking family. Mom I, I can't. I, I can only think of a handful of times that we actually went out to a restaurant to eat when I was a kid. So mom, mom cooked three meals a day, um, almost three sixty-five. Uh, so I think I, I think some of it's just kind of kind of ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, I, I, I enjoy cooking. I enjoy having people with me and eating. I enjoy seeing the, the look on their face when they they're bitten into something that they really enjoy. Um, Maybe it's part of my own need to feel like I'm nurturing people in some way. Mm-hmm. Is that um, was your mom's? Is your mom's heritage somehow rooted in Pennsylvania Dutch traditions, or your father's? Uh, both of them were. Both of them were. Um, my my ancestors on my dad's side came from Alsace Lorraine, and mom's side came from Baden, Germany, in, in the south, in the southern part of, of Germany. Mm-hmm. And they, they emigrated in the late uh, 1750s, 1760s, 1920s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're as German as sauerkraut. Mm-hmm. So are a lot of the recipes that you use now recipes that were passed down from generations? As, as far as I know, many of the recipes I use um, were go at least back to my grandmother on my mom's side. Mm-hmm. Now... There's a good possibility they went back further. I know the the sugar cake recipe I have that comes from my church that goes back, I believe, to the 1740s. Wow. Now you mentioned sugar cake. Um, when I hear the word sugar cake, I think of a vanilla cake with vanilla icing and maybe some sugar dusted along the bottom of the cake to prevent it from sticking on the plate. But what is a sugar cake to you? Oh goodness. Um, 
Well, Moravian sugar cake is a raised uh, potato dough, uh, sweetened, and then it has uh, like puck marks on the surface that you put butter in, and there's a combination of brown sugar, white sugar, and a little bit of flour to keep it from plumping. Mm -hmm. uh, but then that gets spread over the top of the cake and it's baked. So when when it comes out, you have these these little wells mm -hmm. of butter and sugar. Mm -hmm. On, on the you know on, on the top of the cake and, and if you cut it right you'll have a, a, a well in the middle of each piece that wow. you cut. Oh wait, so it's not just about um, how it bakes with the wells of the butter and the sugar; it's how you cut it. That's part of uh -huh. it too, yeah. Because you want to make sure everyone now, gets a piece with like a little extra crunchy buttery right. nugget. Okay. Right. right. Now, Moravians also make a style of fosnock. Oh. Or, or um, Easter, like Easter uh, donut. Mm -hmm. uh, that it, it's made out of a potato dough. It's baked, but it has that thumbprint in the middle of it, butter and brown sugar on mm -hmm. it. And we, we call it the Hills of Bethlehem. I've never heard of that. Wait, Hills of Bethlehem. But it's a baked... Some Sometimes when they're served, people dust powdered sugar over the top Okay. Of do they put the, what do you call it, the molasses or... Um dark syrup on it like you do with a fosnot um they can but it, it already it already has the sugar and butter and stuff on mm -hmm. it so. oh but people um well people with their butter and sugar i mean you can never put too much <laughs> don't you have to keep layering no. the flavors <laughs> no okay um I, I do have a picture of them. I, if you like, I can send yeah them. i would love to see them i'm really curious what they what those look like and you said they're baked they're not fried Right. Okay. I've never heard of that. But it's kind of, it's a similar version to the Fosnot. Okay. Yes. It, it's a very similar dough to Fosnot dough. And the the sugar cake, I'm thinking the Fosnot dough comes out like February. Is that when people, Fosnot day or when people make? Shrove, Shrove Tuesday oh, is the day before Ash yes. Wednesday. Okay. So it's. So that that's when we make Fosnot. Okay. But the Moravian sugar cake, you make traditionally what time of year? Sugar cake can be made really at, at any point in the year. It, it's especially well known at Christmas because it's part of our Christmas Eve love feast services. Mm -hmm. And in the Moravian tradition, love feast is a communal meal. Um, the elements are, are not blessed. So it's not communion in the sense of bread and wine. It, it's communal in the sense of brothers and sisters sharing a meal together in with with the intent of, of peace and, and being in harmony with each other. Mm -hmm. um, it goes back in, in our church to at least the 1720s. But the, the sugar cake, it, it's the sort of thing where you can make a lot of it and you can feed a lot of people with it. So it's, it's a very, very workable dessert. Mm -hmm. Um in, in Moravian tradition, we, we look at in, we look on communion as being fed from above. Mm -hmm. Love feast, we feed each other. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's not like a so communion, literal communion, where right. you're breaking bread and it's symbolic of Christ's body. This is more of like a brotherhood moment. Right, right, mm -hmm. and it um, there are always there are always song services, so it's almost like a, it's almost a hymn sing that the, the meal is served in the, during the course of. Mm -hmm. 
so to speak. Um, my my home congregation, we have three services on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. and all three of them are love feasts. They're all candlelight, and they are always packed. Mm-hmm. We have people standing in the aisles. We have people standing in the vestibule. Um, and if, if you've been to the one at Lidditz, mm-hmm. then you have some understanding of what they're it like. It was ticketed. Like, I think you had to, like, request tickets in advance to even to even attend. Okay. I mean, it was packed. Well, I've never seen um, anything like it. De- depending, depending on the tradition of the congregation, that may have been the children's love feast. Oh. I, I know Central Moravian will, will ticket them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there are other there are other uh, Christmas Eve services are just the candlelight vigil. Mm-hmm. There's no love feast served with it. Mm-hmm. My home congregation, we we love our love feast, so we have, I think we have ten, ten a year. Wow. So it's not just at Christmas. These are things that happen year round, but always at Christmas. These are things that happen year round, mm-hmm. and they must, according to church bylaw, they must be served in conjunction or held in conjunction with communion. Oh, okay. So they're held within the same month as a, a communion service. Mm-hmm. And really, it, it's to represent the agape meal, the, the meal that Christ shared with the, the 12 disciples mm-hmm. before he instituted the communion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do the, does the cake itself or the ingredients symbolize something? Um, like the sugar, the butter, the bread, or not so much? <clears throat> no, not so much. It was just something that's not easy so to make and stretch to serve that many people. That's that's more more. Of oh, okay. It. And when I was little, I mean, everybody got coffee too, even the kids. Oh. <laughs> and when I was about maybe seven or eight, uh, the church decided that, or the elders or deaners, whoever you know, whoever made the decision, but uh, some governing body decided that the children would have chocolate milk, oh. and adults would would have right. coffee. Okay, that makes sense. Somewhere along the way, then yes. then the coffee was taken away from the children. Uh huh. Um. So we'll have to talk about sometime um, Moravian sugar cake because it's something I had never heard of before. Again, it's a, I don't want to say it, it's not Pennsylvania Dutch though, is it? Or is it just, is there a, um, are there a, a few Moravian churches in the area that lend people to think that Moravian sugar cake is Pennsylvania Dutch? Does that make? You know, I would, I would say it's, I would say it's Pennsylvania Dutch because Moravians, some, some Moravians would argue with me that we're not Pennsylvania German, but when the rubber hits the road, the Moravians are, are part of the Pennsylvania German community just as much as the, as the um, German Baptists mm-hmm. or River Brethren or any, you know, and any of the, the United Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, um, <clears throat> so I would, I would say it's Pennsylvania German in that respect. Mm-hmm. But it is, I think it's one of those food things that is more specific to the Moravian tradition. Mm-hmm. Like like chicken pie. Chicken pie is specific to the Moravian tradition. Uh, where chicken chicken pot pie, the baked chicken pot pies with vegetables and things, those you find elsewhere. But Moravian chicken pie is a, a dish that's very different. From... Wait, that opens up another question. When you say chicken pie, do you mean like the slick noodle or wet noodle pie? No, that's, that's something different. That, that would be chicken pot pie. Um, chicken pie, Moravian chicken pie, is predominantly chicken meat with a very thick gravy that binds it together in two crusts and okay. it's baked. Okay, the traditional thing that I think of when I hear chicken pot pie, 
when not from Pennsylvania Dutch area, not growing up in Pennsylvania Dutch area. That's when I think of chicken pot pie. Okay, so that that leads me down. But it's it's similar to that chicken pot pie. Only we don't put vegetables. We don't put vegetables. Oh, okay. There's no no vegetables in it mm-hmm. at all. So it's just it's just the chicken meat and the gravy. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well that makes sense. Um, so the Moravian cake is very traditional then to the area, and you said set 1740, like it dates back to the recipe dates back with a tradition of celebrating, especially for this love feast, dates back to 1740? Well, the, the, the love feast tradition dates back to the 1720s. Mm-hmm. The, the recipe that I have, and I, I know it goes back at least that far because of the people that my mom got it mm-hmm. from. She, she got it from descendants of the original founding members of the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that is like that's amazing. Like, do you? I, it must be really. Uh, it must be when you're preparing it with the intention of sharing it as a communal meal, sharing it like in a brotherhood. Knowing that it's a recipe that's that old and passed down has to have some significance as you're preparing it. I mean, the moment's not lost well, when you, on you. When you think about all the people that have eaten from that recipe. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And the one, now the, the recipe that I have is is more for home, you know, for making them at mm-hmm. home. But it, it's still the same recipe that even Schubert's Bakery used to use in Bethlehem for the clothes. I and mean, it's a very typical. Wow. Okay, so we're going to have to talk about that recipe sometime. We'll have to. <laughs> but, and it's funny because here we are to talk. Of, and we're going to talk about. Of course, we're going to cover it. But when we had talked before about um, holiday traditions, you had mentioned the sugar cake. But you had also mentioned mm-hmm. you dropped the words ox tongue, and I thought ox tongue cookies, and I was like, oh no, he yes. didn't just say ox tongue and cookies. So I googled it, and I think I told you I googled ox tongue cookies because I was so curious to know what they look like, and it was a mix of stuff that appeared on the internet. And I don't eat meat, so to see all of the ox tongues that didn't look like cookies was a bit. <laughs> it was a bit alarming. So I was very excited when you sent your recipe and it's just a normal like cookie recipe. There's no ox in it. <laughs> but when you sent the photo, your photos of your cookies look very much like tongue cookies, right? They're, I mean, mm-hmm. they're longer, they're oblong. You said they're about five and a half, almost five and a half inches long. Where, so mm-hmm. what is the story with ox tongue cookies? Is, is it a regional recipe? Is it a holiday recipe? Is someone messing with with us to call these things ox tongue cookies? I, as as I understand again, you know the 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 stories that I have come from my my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they line up with other people's stories. Sometimes there's a little bit of leeway uh-huh. in it. But the, the the tradition that that came to me was these these cookies were made to be given to children to remind children that it was the oxen who were the first to meet the baby Jesus. Oh, okay. Jesus, Jesus was born in a stable, and he was he was born of a very very low low stature, and really the the first the first being thing that that was introduced to him other than his parents were the, the residents of the stable. Right. Well, that makes sense then. So it it yeah. was a cookie that. Um, had, it was a cookie created with the intention of grounding children. It, do you mean like grounding children in a sense that like it's not all about presents and glitz 
and sparkly things, but hey, let's remember what the holidays were for. Well, see, I, I think I think some of these things came about at a time when the, the glitz of the holiday wasn't as, as we know it mm -hmm. now. Um, you know, I mean, if you go back to the 1740s, you, you didn't have shopping malls, you didn't have you didn't have advertisements, you didn't have store sales. Um, and at least Moravians at, at that point, we were still communal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of, a lot of the hype. The, the reason for the season, so to speak, was more centered on, if, if anything, these things were meant to, to remind the children of where their faith comes from, to remind them of things, to teach them, or, or as, maybe as a, a, a tool of teaching them. And knowing knowing Pennsylvania Germans and, and knowing knowing who we are, we, we tend to learn very well by by seeing pictures. That was very common uh, in the Moravian Brethren Church, especially when we were working with the, the native peoples. There were a lot of a lot of pictures that were shown teaching them about who God was, who Jesus was, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting then to put it in perspective that way, that it was part mm -hmm. of a teaching tool. At the mm -hmm. holiday season, because you're right. Yeah, there was there wouldn't have been the same sense of um, glitz and sparkle, yeah, and distraction. The, the, the glitz and sparkle, in in some respects, is is more of a, a 20th century edition. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. so the cookies themselves, um, and we'll share. Of course, the recipe is going to be posted. I'll post it on my website. Um, we'll do show notes in the link, but we're going to share it in the Reading Eagles insert that we do Burke's Country. Um, so you'll find the recipe there, but um, go ahead. Oh, I, I just said one. Oh, okay, good, nice. good. Yeah, I think I think people will really enjoy the recipe. I know I told Terry when I made this recipe for friends, they loved the cookies um, and they giggled when they found out they were called ox tongue cookies. So now I'm happy to know the story behind it. But the cookie itself, um, you the recipe calls for uh, lard, um, but you mm -hmm. say sometimes that you have used Crisco in the preparation. I, I use Crisco. Okay. De depending on depending on where I'm taking them, I, I want to be sensitive to, to people who may not be um, able to you know to have Crisco and not Crisco to have mm -hmm. lard in their, their diet. Okay, so you can substitute the Crisco. Um, and yes. then it is a cookie that has molasses and spices. And in the mm -hmm. recipe that you were given, there were uh, specific measurements for the cloves, ginger, and cinnamon. But you like to make them a little spicier. Yes. So we upped the recipe based on your preference, which everyone loves, to include oh. a little bit more cloves, ginger, and cinnamon. Uh, which is nice for the recipe. But oftentimes when people cook with molasses, they're not sure which type to grab. Do you use or prefer a particular molasses for cookies? Um, for for this, I would I would use unsulfured molasses. Okay. I, I I buy my molasses by the gallon from Golden Barrel. Wow. They're uh, sweet, sweetener products down in uh, Honeybrook, mm -hmm. like in the Lancaster area. And they make a baking molasses. Mm -hmm. It's an unsulfured molasses. Um, so that's that's the one that I that I prefer. Okay. But you buy a gallon of it. 
Oh yeah, that'll that'll go me just about a year. Oh, okay. This recipe calls for a half a cup of molasses, <laughs> and it makes it makes about eighty cookies. Does that sound right? That's about yeah, right. That's a lot of cookies. <laughs> that's a lot of molasses. Okay, so the unsulfured molasses then is what you prefer. Now this makes eighty cookies. Have you ever doubled the quantity or or tripled it when making oh, for the hot? Yeah. You do. Uh, when I when I demonstrated the, at the uh, cultural center in Kutztown mm-hmm. for Christmas on the farm, I double the recipe because it, I, I'd run out of them too quick. Yeah. So it's it's easy then to take this recipe as is and completely double it. You're not going to have any issues then. No. Okay. No issues okay. at all. Do you use a, um, a, a KitchenAid or do you hand mix all of the ingredients? Um. For this one, I, I hand mix You do mix hand them. mix them. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Let me uh, hang on one sure. second. I've updated a little bit in that I, can you see this? Oh, sort of. Can you lift it up a little higher? What is that? It, I don't, I've never seen Um, anything like, I don't know what that is. It looks like, it looks like an antenna that you would put on, Terry's showing me something on Skype and it looks like something that you would put on the top of a TV, but it's handheld. It looks like it has a wooden handle and it has circular loops and it loops about three times to a smallest loop in the center, like almost like a paddle, like you would use it um, to paddle someone, I guess, for eating too many cookies. But what what is? I've never seen that. What is it? Uh, the, the the German word for it is brotkiska. One more time. Brotkiska. Okay. So it like a like a bread for bread. Mm-hmm. But any any heavy doughs and, and things, it it works wonderfully. That works as a as a mixer, a hand mixer. It's not a beater. Hand mixer. Mm-hmm. So when you use it, are you almost kind of like scooping and mixing as you go? Scooping and mixing. Okay. Yeah. Not whisking, but that same movement. You can. I mean, you can. You can. You know, beat with it pretty well too. The the wire is very very sturdy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Will you send me a picture like, of that? Or sure. at least like the English Absolutely. word for it, so I can Google it. <laughs> um, I've I've seen them online. Okay. Um, in fact, I think. Are you familiar with Layman's catalog out of Ohio? No. Is it a handmade piece that this company Layman's would carry? I I think I'm I'm pretty sure Layman's carries them. Mm-hmm. Although I I know they're made in Germany. I've seen ones that are made in Poland also. Oh, okay. So that's how you mix. That's how you literally mix this cook this cookie dough, with that. Yeah. Oh, wow, by hand. Mm-hmm. That's good exercise. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> then you can have three extra cookies after they come out of the oven because you just mix them with that paddle. <laughs> oh wow. Okay, so is that how you always made them as a child? Then, like, did you grow up with a mixer like that? Um. Didn't grow with with this specifically. Mom, mom would use a wooden spoon. Oh, okay. She would she would cream the 
she would cream the things together with a wooden spoon and then mix it, mix it with a wooden spoon. Okay. I feel like I should get so, rid of the KitchenAid. Can I, maybe you can see it behind me there. Just put my arm up. <laughs> no worries. Oh, no. Um, but to be honest, I, I think it's a recipe that you could, you could use a, mix, a, a, a KitchenAid or some other electric mixer mm-hmm. board without too much right. problem. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I'm so curious about that blender now, that, that panel. So I'll have to look for that information when you send it. And I'll share it, of course, in the show notes. Okay. So when you're making a recipe like this, do you find that it's better to pre-whisk or pre-sift all of those spices so that they don't clump in the recipe or do they work themselves out once they're mixed in? No, I, I, I sift the flour and, and spices okay. and, and leavening agents together. Yeah. Okay. And have you ever substituted flours for, you know, have you ever tried the a whole wheat blend or some kind of gluten-free or it is what it is with the consideration for lard? I've, I've used spelt because I, I do have some friends that are allergic to, to gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, spelt flour, I find I can I can substitute one for one. Okay. And I, you know, consistency-wise, taste-wise, uh, don't have a problem with it. Okay. Um, I think that's really the only substitutions I've, I've done. Okay. That have worked well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. I think those are some great tips um, for this recipe. And... Um, so you'll find it online. You'll find it in the in the Berks Country insert coming up. I think it's around December 7th. But before December 7th arrives, and for people who are interested in learning a little bit more about food and culture, you had mentioned that there's an event coming up um, the weekend of December 3rd, Saturday, December 3rd. And yes. tell me a little bit about that, Terry. It's uh, Saturday, September 3rd from 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. It's called Christmas on the Farm. And that's at the Pennsylvania German Cultural Center in Kutztown on the Kutztown University campus. Okay. Um, in, in terms of food, there, there are two demonstrations going on. In the main house, they have a, an open heart, the old open heart. We have a couple of folks who are really gifted open heart cookers and, and cooks and, and bakers. So they'll be demonstrating Dutch oven use, uh, different kinds of things in there. And then I'm out in the summer kitchen. And again, it being the Christmas season, I'll be making ox tongue cookies <laughs> and the Moravian sugar. Okay, good. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll be telling people probably stories about where the recipes came from and traditions, I imagine, at these. Or is it? And I'm, I'm also going to have a, a, some bit of a, a poster board on. Um, love feast itself oh, okay so people understand the the tradition that that the sugar cake is used in and maybe a little bit on on the christmas eve love feast services also okay i think that's lovely then and will you be uh bringing your powerpoint presentation which includes photos of your summer kitchen and gorgeous stove <laughs> will you have the powerpoint for that event I, I don't know if I will or not. Okay. Um, one of one of the other things that's going on with that particular event, there is a, a shoe fly pie uh, contest. Oh. And I have I have one of mine entered. Yeah. So I have I have one of my shoe fly pies entered. Oh, that's very exciting. Have you entered? Mm-hmm. Have you entered um, in the contest in previous years? 
Well, this is the first time they're having the contest, oh, okay. so, so it's kind of kind of fun on a couple different okay. levels. So I'll be rooting for your pie, your souffle pie. I hope you win. Okay. I can't imagine you wouldn't win. I mean, but I hope you win. <laughs> well, I have a couple secrets when it comes to souffle pie, but that, that's, that's another, another matter. story, huh? <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so make sure you find um, that event. It's December third, um, Kutztown University campus, Christmas on the farm. And that sounds like a lot of fun. Again, it's from 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock. And um, look for Terry and those ox tongue cookies. And of course, Moravian sugar cake. But definitely check out the ox tongue cookies. I know, well, I'm pretty sure that not many people have ever had them before, right? I mean, it's not that common, right? Well, it, it, it's common. I would say it's common in Pennsylvania German circles. Really? I'm not sure. Some, some people call them spice tongue cookies. Uh-huh. Or cow tongue cookies, hmm. or just tongue cookies. Mm-hmm. Cow tongue, spice tongue. Okay, so if you drop those words, like I'll be bringing the tongue cookies, or I'll be bringing the cow cookies, if people look at you like they don't know what you're talking about, they're not in the know. They're not in the Pennsylvania Dutch oh. know. Possibly. Okay. I, I've also found that this was this was a recipe that that great grandparents made for grandparents and sometimes the parents made it for the kids. But, and, and I don't know if it's because it's a hand form cookie. People think it takes too much time to do, mm-hmm. but there are like, there are younger kids who have no idea what they are. Huh. But I, I can tell you, I mean, at least for where I grew up in Nazareth, Northampton County, this was, this was a very common, common cookie. Okay. This is, I, I love that introduction into the culture. So thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, those stories, I think it's wonderful. Um, so I will use those words, though, as um, to drop with my Pennsylvania Dutch folk friends to see if they know what I'm talking about. And then I will gauge their cooking skills based on uh, them knowing or not knowing what I'm talking about when I say ox tongue cookies. They, they may recognize them as, as spice tongue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cookies. I'll give them a little yeah. bit of leeway. I'll give okay. them a second chance. If they don't know the ox or cow, I will I will say spice tongue. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> but thank you so okay. much for sharing those stories. And be sure to find Terry at Christmas on the Farm. And we'll have to talk again because I find um, your background and your story so interesting. And especially that stove and the view out the window is beautiful. So I hope you have a really happy holiday season. Thanks for sharing these recipes. Um, and we'll put them, of course, on the website and the links. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, and you can find Terry's previous interview when we were at the Kutztown Folk Festival. I think it was back in July. You'll find it in the podcast mm-hmm. listing. And that was a lot of fun, too. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, be sure to leave a review or a comment. Let us know what you like or would like to hear more of. Thanks so much. <laughs>